0: It's been a long evening, hasn't it? Hopefully it's been a beautiful evening. But as the evening wears on, you can't help but be a little bit tired. So we're gonna start my session now (laughs) with a rousing rendition together. Dai dai, yeh no. Dai dai, yeh no. Dai dai, yeh no. Dai yeh no. Dai yeh no. Dai no. Dai no. Dai dai, yeh no. Dai dai, yeh no. Dai yeh no. Why am I doing that? Aside from waking you up, that is my topic for tonight. Dai no. Tis enough for us. Most of us are aware that the, uh, this song in the Haggadah references a uh, bevy, a uh, litany of things that one must be grateful for. Dayenu, it's enough. Kamma ma'alot tovot lamakom alenu. How many wondrous things did God do for us? If God had taken us out of Egypt and he had not done many different wonders against the Egyptians, our tormentors, dayenu. It would have been enough. We would have had to say thank you. We would have needed to be grateful. If God had done wonders for the Egyptians And he did not destroy their gods If he had destroyed their gods And he did not killed their firstborn Dayenu would have been enough We would still have to say thank you What if he'd done that and not the next That, not the next, that, not the next Dayenu, okay ends the Haggadah after it goes through all the things. You know, God did not have to give us, after killing the firstborn, He didn't have to give us all their money. He didn't have to, uh, if He gave us the money, He didn't have to, you know, split the sea. If He split the sea, He didn't need to take us through on the other side on dry land. He didn't need to uh, drown our enemies. He didn't need to take care of all of our needs in the desert. He didn't need to feed us the man. He didn't need to give us the Shabbat. He didn't need to bring us to Har Sinai. He didn't need to give us the Torah. He didn't need to, if He didn't need to bring us from the Torah to Israel. And if... He brought us to Eretz Israel, the Lobana Lanu et Beta Mikdash, and he did not build for us the Beta Mikdash Tayenu. It would have been enough. Contrast that with the generation that sings, never enough. That's our generation. Never enough. And the Haggadah is telling you, everything enough. Isn't that wild? How much more so that God did all of these things for us. He did this and this and this and this and this. We have to give thanks to God. My friends, I have one question that I'd like to ask you on this procedure, on this, I don't know, evolution of thanks, let's call it. All of these things that we mention here are part of the story of the Jewish people leaving Egypt. Right? All part of it. All except for one. God told Moshe, I'm going to bring the Jewish people here. They're going to serve me on this mountain. Part of the story of Egypt. Splitting the sea, that's how they're getting out. The Egyptians are chasing them, right? Shabbat, all these things happen to them as they leave Egypt, right? In fact, they even had Shabbat in Egypt that was part of the story where Moshe tricked Pharaoh into realizing, into giving them a day off. He told them that they would work better if they had one day off. And now today we think that people work better if they have four days off. And they don't need to come into the office at all. We think that Corona, you know, formally ended the concept of work, okay? Anyway, but what's amazing to me is that there's one bit, even entering into the land of Israel, is that part of the story of leaving Egypt? Absolutely. God says What does God say? He says I'm going to bring you I'm going to bring you to the land of Israel That is a promise that God makes to Moshe In Egypt Moshe conveys that to the Jewish people It's part of their story To be a people tortured in, uh, in Egypt to going back uh, to the land of their forefathers of Avraham, Yitzchak and Yaakov to becoming the indigenous people of the land that they once owned all oh, that's the story of Egypt but what in the world is the final one and he did not build for us the Beit HaMikdash I'd like to share one thing I think it's paused, I'm not sure why and I'm not sure from when. I'd like to share one thing, one thought that struck me and as a person learns more and more Torah, they start to make more and more connections from place to place. So as an example, you start reading in one place about, uh, you know, Yosef HaTzadik and how he's dipped, they dipped his coat in blood. And then you read in the Seder that there are two dippings, and then you read the Ben Chai, and the Ben Chai is like, hmm, two dippings on the night when we talk about uh, being slaves in Egypt and then leaving Egypt? What does that remind me of? Says the Ben Chai. the two dippings that we read about in the Torah the dipping of the brothers of Yosef's cloak that brought them to Egypt, and the dipping of the Jewish people's Ezov, the grass that they dipped into the blood of the Korban Pesach, and put on the walls in both cases they are dipping in the blood of a goat and one case is the story of the descent into egypt and in one case it's the ascent out of egypt remarkable beautiful connection but sometimes you hear a connection like this and you don't know what to do with it you don't know how to understand what this connection actually is meant to mean to me and you once i noticed was the odd one out was the one that didn't belong another word caught my mind caught my attention caught my eye if I was writing the Haggadah or if you were writing it assuming you spoke Hebrew how would you write how many good things did God do for us how would you write that kamah Huh? Nifla'ot, how many wonders. Kama tovot, how many good things. Kama ma'alot is a strange word, isn't it? Which then made me realize, hold on, my shlomi sense was tingling. I just throw them out there, Rabbi. I figured if we're on the marvel train, maybe they'll catch it. Hazaku baruch. My shlomi sense was tingling. I thought to myself, wait, we're talking, we end up talking about the betta Hamikdash. We start with talking about Ma'alot. Well, Kama Ma'alot, how many steps were there? How many ascents were there to the Beta Hamikdash? Does anyone know? There were 15 corresponded to by the songs that David Amelach wrote Shir Lama'alot my mom's favorite song Shir Lama'alot Dave we'd sing it to my mom and she closes her eyes she goes like this and we take the keys to her car no I'm joking <laughs> there are 15 songs of ascent 15 stairs to the Beth Mikdash and wouldn't you know it, count them. חוציינו ממצרים, אסבהם שפתיים, אסבהם לוהם, הרג לנו Fifteen, booyah. Kama. <laughs> מאלות. Tovot 15. What's the last one? The beta HaMikdash. Isn't that wild? Isn't that interesting? I want to try and open this up a little bit. And perhaps express this idea that maybe we're learning here together tonight in the form of a question. You know... There's an interesting Gemara. The Gemara tells us a story in Berachot on page 33. There was once a Chazan that went to the Teva in front of Rabbi Chanina. Now it's interesting. That word Nachit means to go down. In fact, in Masechet Ta'anit, for those of you who are learning uh, Gemara with us, for those of you who are not, you can catch up on the YouTube channel. All right? Uh, YouTube.com backslash Chazak. Playlist Ta'anit. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe below. Okay, fine. <laughs> we learn in the Masechet Ta'anit, we keep talking about Yored Lifneha Teva. The person goes down in front of the Teva. And why does he go down in front of the teva? Look at the teva in front of me. If you look, the commentators explain over there that once upon a time, if you were going to a synagogue and you'd look for the tevah where the chazan would pray from, it would not be up, it would be down. You descend into it. Rabbi, you just talked about how your daughter went to Poland. I've been many times to Poland, and one of the places which is fascinating to me is the synagogue of the Ramah, and in the synagogue of Rav Moshe Isilis, that's still there, you can still go there, it's revamped, they've fixed it up recently, but the place where the Chazan prays from, the ground in that square, maybe one square foot by one square foot, is dug down into the ground. Only about this much. Why? So that the Chazan should be praying from lower, <speaking in Hebrew> to fulfill that which it says. Mimamakim <speaking in Hebrew> From the depths did I call you, O oh God. So we pray from low, from lower. Rabbi Chanina? <speaking in Hebrew> There was a man who prayed, who went down in front of Rabbi Hanina, and he started to pray. <speaking in Hebrew> All right, we, we, we're good with that, right? And he carries on. <speaking in Hebrew> God, the the certain, the the, the the honorable, the brave, the strong, the fearful. <speaking in Hebrew> Starts adding all these descriptions, these appellations for God that he'd made up himself. <speaking in Hebrew> Sorry, himtin <speaking> adis <Hebrew> I kind of read this Gemara the first time, and I just have—I must tell you—whenever I read, whenever I learn Torah, I try to get in it. I don't know if anyone else does that. Like you know, I try to be there in the room. And I read the next words, right? Himtin lo adis he waited for him until he finished i was like oh boy he gonna get it now <laughs> like you know that's like he waits till he's done and then the rabbi says "Kisiam when he finished he said did you finish saying all the praiseworthy names associated with god have you finished praising hashem Lama why did you say so many Ana and we, the Jewish people, honey. Tzalate amri. We say three. Agadola, gibor va'anora. It loved the amrinu Moshe the b'Deoraita. If not for the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu said it in the Torah and the Anshiknes Agadola canonized it in the Tefillah. Lo avina yachol. We not even say those The at amrit kulei hay You said so many and then you stopped. Meshal lemelech basar This is compared to a king, of flesh and blood. Shahayulo, elef alafim dinar ezav. He had thousands of thousands. Elef alafim means a thousand thousands. How many is that? A million. Elef alafim dinar ezav. Vehayu oto And they would say, Wow! Look how much silver he has. He had a million pieces of gold, and they said, wow, he has a million pieces of silver. (inaudible) To say about this guy that he has a million pieces of silver is an embarrassment. I still remember when I first came to Manhattan, and I had this reality check of the world that I'd left versus the world that I'd arrived in. So this guy walked in very dapper in his suit, magnificent tie, nice pocket square. I said, man, wow, you look like a million dollars. And the man looked offended. Some of them girls thinking, hook me up, Rabbi. Okay. So going on and on if you say exactly what you say what the rabbis told you to say what moshe said so i just said what you told me to say okay but if you're starting to praise god in your own language you're giving all these terms is that it you have expanded so is there more isn't there more it's going to be silver when he's got gold so i have a question for you my friends why is it on the night of Pesach? <laughs> how come on the night of <laughs> i'm just having flashbacks by the way i'm having flashbacks to my childhood when i practiced and prepared and sweat in lakewood hater school to be able to say, "Tat ich will fragen the vier Kashes, <laughs> die erste Kache vavos was und der Nacht von Besach." All your, all the Nacht von Agantis you are. My father looked at me like, "Honey, what's wrong with him?" <laughs> <laughs> My mother said, "Stop! I'm from Germany." How come on this night, it's different? Where we say over here, Whoever speaks more, says more, tells more, that's praiseworthy. Talk more about the things that God did to the Egyptians. Give 74 pshatim on how God split the ocean and all the miracles that happened in there. Talk more about the Ichmaka and how it happened and why it happened and in which way it happened and how bad it was and how much they suffered. Talk more. And then you see the rabbis. They're like fighting with each other. Ten makot. The other is like, rabbis is like, I see your ten, I raise you forty. The other rabbi is like, I see your forty, I raise you fifty. Okay, fine. Let's go to the ocean. Two hundred on the ocean do I hit 250 250 do I hit 300 right what is happening here why are we speaking more and more and more of the suffering of the Egyptians we said over here already that we don't leave that to a person to say for themselves and yet here we do not only that let me make the question worse the Talmud tells us that when it comes to the story <coughs> of the drowning of the Egyptians The Gemara says, In Megillah, page 10. They did not come close one to the other the entire night. The angels, the ministering angels, wanted to sing the song of praise to God when he drowned the Egyptians in the sea. God said to them, My creations are drowning in the ocean. You're singing words of praise? It's not the time. Do not sing us the song, angel man. The Atem Omrim Shira, HaKadosh Baruch doesn't enjoy. Mapalatan Shel Tzadikim, Shel Rishayim, excuse me, says the Gemara in Sanhedrin, page 39. So why here are we singing? Why here, if God told the angels not to sing, not to celebrate the destruction of the Egyptians? I will never get that song out of my head. Tra-la-la, you sing with me about this great day in history. Know that one? Anyone? Hashem, he made our free. we sing until eternity. Right now. That's not so bad. But the worst part is when it's going through the Makot and then the end of the Makah goes the death of every firstborn son. Hey, tra-la-la, we sing weekly. Death of every firstborn son. Yay! Why, what is, where, where is our compassion if the Gemara is calling and saying that the angels were not allowed to sing Shirah? The Malbim writes in a magnificent answer. And I'm going to combine, if I can, the words of the Malbim with the words of the Maharal. Because together from both of them emerges an answer to this question which I think changes the dynamic of the entire night of the Seder. The Malbim says, you know why the Jews were allowed to sing Shirah? And the angels were not. Because for the angels we say, how could you sing? Look what's happened to the Egyptians. Human beings drowning. Not appropriate. But the Malbim says, The Jews, it had happened to them. The miracle had happened to them. The angels were bystanders. For bystanders, keep your mouth shut. But for the ones that the miracle had occurred, They have no answer. They have no excuse. They must share, they must say over. What happened to them? Because saying over for the Jews was not a celebration. It was an expression of the ultimate gratitude that a person can have. And you cannot have gratitude unless you can say explicitly what you are grateful for. The Maharal is explaining therefore something unbelievable when it comes to thanks we have no option so you want to know why we add more and more and more on this night if you're not supposed to say more and more and more the answer is because here it's about gratitude and when it comes to gratitude even if i might fall short even if i might not be able to say everything that you did for me even if i could not fully understand you god i've got to do my best gratitude for a Jew is a must it's a lifeline it's an essential element of being a Jew a Jew without gratitude he's not a Jew without gratitude he's not a Jew at all therefore my friends we recast the seder into this perspective The gratitude of a Jew is to reiterate, to delineate, to express, to quantify every single miracle in all of its details. Because at the end of the day, even though it hurts someone else, even though, but it was my salvation that came from that. And if a person can do that and can express the depths of their despair once, they can understand the height of their salvation now. I think if we go back now, we begin to understand the process of this sing-song, dianu. Because you see, gratitude, it falters in people because of one reason, because things are not good enough. But they don't think of what is good. Anyone who is not grateful suffers from this, suffers from the disease Of not enough so if we want to turn people into Jews to remove them from the slavery from the cynical expression that we have of our world to allow a person to be free to love to be free to risk to be free to try what do we need to do we need to make him or her Stop feeling like they need to know the whole story. Stop them from feeling like they need closure. You don't need closure. Closure is a myth, especially for Jews. At every step we say, Dayenu. What's going to be tomorrow? What would have happened if God would have taken them out of Egypt? And then he wouldn't have split the sea, and the Egyptians are coming. How would that have helped that yesterday they were saved? But for a Jew, that is how you think of gratitude to God and gratitude in general. I was grateful for what I'd had. And you know what? God is magnificent at writing the ends of stories in a myriad ways where we could not have even imagined those endings ourselves if we were the most creative people on earth which movie producer would have come up with the 10 plagues everyone would have said that's so unrealistic no one's gonna watch that and god just keeps surprising the jews have no food to eat what does god do i know rain it down from the sky there's so many easy like why couldn't god have someone open up a kfc in the like that could have been that would have been easier obviously kosher fried chicken that's what I was thinking what were you thinking weirdos right do you understand there were many ways for Hashem to do that the Egyptians are coming you know what give the Jews muscles or have someone airlift them some weapons Mr. Biden do you understand why did God need to do it this way rip the sea open that was entirely unnecessary right you look at it it's wild Every part of this is wild. My friends, that idea, that dayenu, is the sheer la ma'alot. And I want to express this to each and every person that is listening and is watching this tonight. Because this song, kama ma'alot, This song, Dayenu, they are one and the same, and they lead us down the garden path, up the stairs to arriving at God's temple. In a place where we share, for what is the temple, but a place where we share an existence with Hashem, where the ephemeral world, where the world as it is, ceases to exist, it fades away and blends and meshes into a spiritual existence. Which is why in the temple God has miracles happening. the time for no reason at all even though god has an aversion to doing miracles right that's in this world but the beta mikdash that is not of this everyday world how does one achieve a feeling a connection to the immortal by recognizing how much the immortal has control over every mortal thing, over every finite thing in our universe. And that only happens when you break stories down to their components, to their pieces. Not to the larger narrative, but to each piece. Like we saw in the story of Purim where every piece of the puzzle needs to be managed by God every person's free will needs to be kind of slanted in a certain way every person's occurrence big time they have to meet the guy right outside it needs to be right where Mordecai is there etc, 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 etc when you break it down then you experience this song of sense that raises you up these 15 levels it is remarkable because our rabbis tell us as well that there these 15 levels, there are 15 ingredients in the building of the Mishkan that are noted as well. These ingredients are something that you and I can attain on this night because God is not just a super strong mortal being. He is not connected at all. And I read you the words of Ramban that sound prophetic now. Rambam writes on the Gemara that I just mentioned why did this man carry on with all these expressions all these wonderful things he says what was the problem in the mashal if you go to a king and you say how many pieces of silver do you have why didn't he say if he had a thousand thousand pieces of gold and the person says that he has one piece of gold that's a genai No, says the Shitamikubetzet in the name of Harambam. He says the problem wasn't less of an item, less of something. It was an entirely different level. minin chalukin. They are completely, they are asymmetrical things. When we try and understand God's goodness, we try and plug His story into our story. And it is there where we fail, where we falter, because God is unlike us. Even the best version of us, even the smartest version of us. So when we think we have the answer to the story, or we have answers to this story, how mistaken we are, and how much we seek to limit God, my friends, I will read you the words of Rambam at the end of this Shittah meili, But all this that I tell you here about not going off and explaining the goodness of God because you'll fall short. When you're trying to talk words of praise. Silence is better to tell over the wonders that he's done, that he's the miracles, and his strengths. The more you add, the words of the Haggadah. When a person learns those things, they start to recognize a very different God than the God they started, the Seder, talking about, thinking about, believing it. My friends, it turns out then that perhaps the freedom that we seek on the night of the seder is more than just a physical freedom, it's more than just leaving Egypt, it's more than just not being slaves, and perhaps I'd like to suggest a little bit more or a little bit of a deeper uh, perspective than that which was put forward before. I feel like we can push the envelope a little bit more because the ones that can't handle the heat got out of the kitchen and left already. Rabbi Bragamov talked about how we are slaves. Slaves to societal pressures. Slaves to fashion. Slaves to many different things. My friends, I'd like to push that envelope. There is a unique kind of slavery here that perhaps I think Rabbi Ibrahimov was alluding to. And that is where we give up writing the end of a story. And I, let me explain what I mean by that. In the story of Dayanu, everyone thinks that they have the next step, but God always one-ups them. They think that this is the end, that God says, no, it's not. You know, the Makubalim have a name for God. They call God, ends off god is limitless he is infinite but i would like to suggest that part of that vernacular of ends off means that there is no ending whatever story you're in and you think that this is positive it doesn't have to be you think you got away with murder you did the wrong thing and it worked out okay god says ends off you know, you think, you think things are terrible, and there's no way God could save you. You think that, wrong and soft. it's not the end. You understand? That is a name, say the Kabbalists, a way of defining God's interaction with us. And I'd like to share what I mean by that. There was a rabbi whose name was Rav Moshe Sakhalovsky. He wrote a book, a very famous book that is studied in many yeshivot. A magnificent book called the Imre Moshe. And after the Holocaust, his students went back to the city to try and retrieve this unbelievable work of their rabbi so they could print it and give it out to the yeshivot. But unfortunately, every copy of the Imre Moshe was destroyed, was burned, was gone. And the life's work of this rabbi had gone up in smoke along. With the Jewish story on those shores but remarkably there was one copy that survived and the story of how that copy survived is magnificent the story begins when the father of Rav Chaim Kanievsky Zatzal the of Daon Rabbi Yisrael Yaakov Kanievsky he was very poor and he heard about this amazing sefer called the Imre Moshe. And he wrote a letter to the author, Rav Moshe Sokolovsky. He said, please, I don't have the money for your book. Is there any way I can get you a book at a discount? I'd love to study it. The rabbi saw how little this man had and how much he wanted to learn his book. So you know what he did? He sent him a free copy. Before the war, the stipler moved to Israel. And that copy was saved. And that copy was the only copy that was saved. Had the rabbi said, I'd love to give you a discount, but I can't. There would be no zecher, no memory of the thousands of hours he poured in to write that book of his life's work. My friends... You see, the story of the Haggadah tells you that you think when you give something away, you don't have it. But the Torah tells you differently. That when you give something away, that's when you've got it. That when the jewish people when they stood by one another and they didn't throw each other under the bus that's when they were redeemed which is paradoxical in nature you'd think that you'd need to get into survival mode and throw the other guy under the bus so that you save yourself but that didn't save them when they were hitting one another moshe says now i know why you're still here and when they're crying and praying together moshe says now it's time to go and Sof. Dayenu free yourself from foregone conclusions that is the story of the seder eat maror but dip it in something sweet so that you recall that that which tastes sweet on the tongue sometimes tastes bitter in the back of the throat and take karpas which is a sweet it's got a sweetness to its celery you only have to look at those weird people that turned it into a soda and then cleverly named it cel <laughs> It's sweet and we dip it in salt water because there are things that taste like tears that actually are incredibly joyous and incredibly sweet. The ultimate Cherut is to recognize that you are not here in a world that you understand. You are not here in a world that runs the way you think and might does not make right and the stronger people don't always win that's the story Rav Goldwasser relates a story that I like to call a tale of two saftas There was a young man who tried and tried and tried and tried to find his nasib but he could not find the right one for him and as he grew older he tried to make the best of his life, but it stung, it hurt him, it hung on him. So he went one day, he, she always went every Friday, he went to visit his grandmother. He goes to his safta in the hospital. He's sitting with his safta. he's talking, he's reading. All of a sudden, his safta gets very upset, very angry. She says, what did you do with my dentures? He says, "Safta, I, I didn't do anything with your dentures. She says, don't you be chutzpahnik? don't you be insolent to me. What did you do with my dentures? He said, didn't touch your dentures after. I don't know who would want to touch someone else's dentures, but she gets so mad, she slaps him across the face. And it's in that moment of humiliation, it's in that moment where something, everything, his whole life comes into such a sharp focus. How little he has, how small he feels, How even, it seems, the ones that should love him don't. How far he is from being loved. And he starts to cry, but he doesn't let his grandmother see. And when he turns around back to her, he smiles he says, I'm sure it's here somewhere. And he starts looking around the room until eventually he finds her dentures under her pillow. Here they are. And he goes home. That was a low point in his life. But what he did not know was that while this was taking place, through the curtain in his grandmother's hospital room, another safta was watching. And with that safta. Was her granddaughter who was also visiting her. And mere moments after he walked out of the hospital, the Safta, like only a Jewish bubby can, <laughs> tracks down the nurse and says, What's the name of those people? I'm guessing she probably said, HIPAA does not allow me to say, but that bubby gave her a piece of her mind. <laughs> and she got the info. It was still that day when Safta number two gave a call to the mother of this young man and said, I just witnessed the most remarkable thing, the most wonderful thing, in the room next to mine in the hospital. And I would like to tell you one thing that every Jewish mother and grandmother loves to say. Have I got a girl for you? (laughs) She didn't say that, that's just how I imagine it. They went out. And within one year, they were celebrating their chuppah. And after their chuppah had finished and he'd smashed the glass, Chatan and Kala left the wedding hall because they had a stop to make and two saftas to visit and to thank. In God's version of the story, things are not the way we see them. When the Jews are at the lowest point of their existence. What happens to them in that moment? When they're one step away from being redeemed. When Chazal tells us that if they're there for one more minute, they'll never get out. The Jewish people are crying more than ever. They are sad more than ever. They are depressed more than ever. But what they don't know is that they are close more than ever. Karov <laughs> Their salvation was close to coming. They had never been closer. And that moment of sadness, those tears, actually were hiding something incredibly sweet right behind them. My friends, that is the story of Shir Lamaalot. The Talmud tells us that when David Amelech wrote them, Rav Chizda asked the man who arranged his, the Gemarot of Agadah, Amar Amalo Rav Chizda, Sukkah, page 53, Haim Shamata, did you hear? Otamcha mishah asar Those fifteen Sheila alot, song of ascent. Do you know why David Melech wrote songs of ascent, songs of rising up, songs of inspiration? What made David write them? Amar lo, he said to him. Kach Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan said thusly. In the time that David Hamelech was digging for the foundation of the Beit Hamikdash, he managed to unearth a clod. He managed to unearth a clod of ground, and the water rose so quickly that it threatened to drown the entire world. Amar David Hamelech said, 15 shira ma'alots, and he got them to go down. Hikshalu of Rav Chizda asked him if that's true. It shouldn't say 15 ma'alot, 15 arisings. It should have said 15 yordot, 15 descents. Because each song that he said, right, was to make it go further down the waters that had risen. A'ma'lo ha'agadot. Now that you've mentioned the story, let me tell you what happened. In that hour, it rose the water so drastically, David Amel did not know what to do. So he asked his rabbi, Achitofel, what should I do? Is it mutar to write the name of God and throw it into the water? Achitofel told him you're allowed to do it. If for the sake of a sotah, you can erase God's name so that there can be peace between husband and wife, how much more so to save the entire earth from drowning? David HaMelech wrote the name of God on the tablet and threw it in. The commentators say, which name of God did he write on the tablet? He wrote the letters, Yud, Hey, the name of God, which is 15. Says the Talmud, it carries on. This is amazing. You should look at it yourself if you want. He adds and he says, Amar David mutara davar. David wrote it. And the depth, it went down 16 ma'alot, 16 levels, 16,000 amot. When David saw that the waters had gone down too much, 16 degrees, Amar, he said, the higher the depth is, the more fertile the earth will be he said the 15 song of ascents and he raised it all the way he stopped it there not the 16th level but the 15 levels and that was as close as it could get my friends are you seeing this story now together with me the 15 ascents when are they written they're written when we need things to go down no when you're at the bottom of the pit and you're drowning in the water, that, those waters, they need, to be, they need to be silenced. They need the name of God to protect and they need the name of God to save you. Have you ever felt that? Where you, even if you haven't been to shul, even if you haven't been so good, you just say, Hashem, enough, Dayanu. In those moments, you are not singing songs of descents. You are singing songs of ascents. It doesn't feel like that. But it doesn't feel like that because you are not Ensof. But he is. He is the master of the unended story. And your suffering and your pain and your challenge is but that an unended story. It's not finished. But the only way that God can finish it. Is if you allow him to. And what does it mean to allow God to do that? It means to not limit him with your imagination. I would like to end with this point. You know, how many times has a person, you, me, everybody, we look at our accomplishments, and we're a little bit underwhelmed. Maybe we don't feel like we've achieved as much as we wanted to. I did not think I would be here at this age. I would have thought by this time, I'd know more, be more, have done more. And we're down on ourselves, and we're upset about it. How many times, everybody's got that, right? Everybody's got those moments. Why hasn't what I wanted to happen for me? Why hasn't it happened for me yet? My friends, the Torah compares a person's achievements to his children. Toldot Noach, these are the children of Noach, one would think but the pasuk doesn't list its children immediately he says dot noach noach ish tzaddik. Noach was a righteous man and from that break in the verse we learn that a person's achievements in this world they are his or her children they exist because of you my friends when the torah talks about the types of children that we have in the Haggadah. Perhaps it is not only talking about the physical children that we have. It is referring to the smart things that we've done, the Chacham. It's referring to the Rasha, to the terrible things that we've done. It's referring to the simple things that we've done. It's referring to the things that we did without any thought where we had no idea even what we were doing. The Enoyodeh lishol. But when a person looks back at their achievements and they're upset about their achievements, I want them to remember these words I'm sharing with you now. Look at the letters of the four sons, of the four achievements that a person has in his life. Rasha, <laughs> Tam, Because it is in this idea in looking at all of these things that you've done, or that you've done badly, the letters spell the words, tam, My freedom exists in me looking at the things that I've done, and not living a life of regret. But recognizing, like the Baal Haggadah says, before he lists any one of those children. Echad Chacham, Echad Rasha, Echad Tam, V'echad Shinoi Dele Shol. You know why? Because Echad means Echad. God is one in the eight heavens, in the seven layers, and our earth, and in the four corners of the world that we live in. Echad gave you Chacham, Echad gave you Rasha, Echad gave you Tam, Echad gave you She'eniyo De'elishol And not just in the kids, not just in your physical children, in the stupid things that you've done They are part of your story, but they are not the end Not when it comes to a God who is Ensof Not when it comes to a God who begs us, live your life at each stage and at each part for that part And say about what you've got today, Dayenu, look at what I do have. And I don't know what's going to come next and I don't know how I'm going to deal with it. But you know what? If I said Dayenu twice and three times and four times and five times and four, you know what odds are God has some good odds on His side. That's why they call Him God jokes. Either way, do you understand, my friends, the power then of the night of the Seder? when we believe God to be omnipotent, says the Zohar, when we believe God to be able to change any situation, the words of the Zohar is, I would never say it if it's not there. They give strength, la Adonam, to their master. We give God strength. Because the only thing that limits God is our understanding of Him is our expectations of Him so take the story of Mitzrayim and use it as an overlay on your life on the challenges on the difficulties and say to yourself if God could do anything what do I have to worry about? That is the true freedom that we seek on this evening It's a night of questions So that you'll learn You could live with questions It's a night where we hide at the beginning of the night The piece of the matzah So that you'll learn You don't always know where your next meal is coming from But it turns up in the end and we eat that matzah at the end of the Seder Badafi afikoman. May God bless us all with the ends of our stories that we so desperately and deservedly want and may we all celebrate not just our own personal semachot but arriving at the place where humanity and God live together at the steps of the Beit HaMikdash Kama <speaking> Ma'alot <in Hebrew> how many wondrous stages wondrous ascents wondrous stories have we had in our life that we can finally if we recognize those stairs are behind us lifting us up that we are already in the palace of the King Hag <speaking> Sameach <in Hebrew> you think we should daven Meyer now or downstairs? We've davened later, already, if daven. anyone wants. Okay. If anyone would like to pray our beat, they may, they may try and make a minyan downstairs. Yeah. Uh, thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for coming, and thank you for staying late. We appreciate it. Mazal tov. Wonderful. Hak Sameach.